0: Handle on the news. Handle on the the news. news. And now.
1: Wake World! Wake World! Party
2: Town! Excellent! (laughs) Good morning, KFI AM640. It's the Bill Handel show. I, I heard you say that I'm filling in. Did you say why? No. Bill Handel is the keynote speaker this morning at the uh, San Bernardino Sheriff's Conference.
3: That's right. I could honestly I couldn't remember why. I remembered he was off, but yeah, I couldn't remember and why. Uh, he
2: was there. He you know he spent the night out there. He was there yesterday, going around. They have a lot of uh, exhibitor booths that are law enforcement focused. Yeah. And in fact, if you go to the Twitter account for this show, uh, it's at Bill Handel Show. You will see uh, one of the many, and we'll we'll put them out uh, up throughout the day. But one of the many photos of him there uh standing in front of a of a big sign that kind of makes you think maybe that sign is talking about him I so go there that no, bill handle show <laughs> uh anyway good morning everybody he'll be back tomorrow and let's start handle on the news jennifer jones lee and me that sounds like a uh, an r&b hit it really does yeah jennifer jones lee and me lead story but it's possible But if you
4: choose to compromise our security, I get you off with
2: a little thing they call immunity. Okay, James Comey, his big ABC News interview last night. I don't know that there were necessarily any surprises. Mm -mm. It's not a surprise to find out that uh, he and the president don't like each other. What? It's also not a surprise to find out that the gloves, because the gloves have been off in terms of the rhetoric for a while. Ni- neither of these gentlemen are behaving like gentlemen.
5: No.
2: They're just They're not. And I guess if you're talking about President Trump, we're used to it. But James Comey really, I, I worry that what's happened is he's being dragged down to that level,
3: there was just a lot of, of in- like name
2: calling, right, and-
3: right. And didn't you? I don't know if you listened to a, a lot. I know you did, but a lot of the interview felt a little bit like "woe is me" ish. I don't know that they, for a guy who came across as six foot six and bulletproof while he was in office. It last night felt a little bit. Mambi Pamby at times, I think. I, I don't know. I just saw a different side of him that I was surprised by. Yeah.
2: Well, we'll have more on this at seven, including some choice uh, audio cut, uh, cuts of this guy, and we can decide whether he's behaving honorably at all or not.
3: Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. <laughs> oh, the French president says, I convinced President Trump to stay in Syria ahead of the strikes. push it down. What's, he also is saying... Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say what's strange about this statement. I was shocked to hear the White House is pushing back. Saying, no, you didn't. We were in it all along.
2: Listen, Macron's going to end up on the wrong side of tweets from this president if he doesn't <laughs> stop. He's... Here's a deal. Could be true. He's not only saying that he convinced President Trump to stay in Syria longer term. He's also saying it was France... That convinced everybody that the missile strikes needed to be kind of small and very carefully targeted. Yeah. Now, I don't know what his motivation is. It could just be that he's telling the truth about what happened. It also could be uh, that he sees the ability to step into the role of world leader. To step over the president of the United States and be the number one world leader guy he's almost like trying to uh i'll use language that the uh keck heads can totally get behind he's trying to cuck our president
3: yeah and it so i look at this and if you look, i don't know if he really is by the way well no but hey you know who knows what any politician's motivations are and when you're at this level why not? I could see how they c- that could be the case. But the, last week, he was the first one who made those definitive statements. Chemical weapons were used. We have the proof. We want to go in. We should go in. So maybe in some ways, he's just standing by what he said last week. Because remember, we held back a little bit, as did Britain. We all wanted the proof. We wanted to make sure. But Fre- the French, right from the beginning, were saying, let's go in. Let's hit him. We're ready to do this. We've got the proof. So And,
2: and with Britain ostensibly out on their way out of the EU, although Lord knows whenever that's going to happen. <laughs> right. And the fact that Germany really was like, we don't want to get involved in any of this. Oh, right. Yeah. now. There is a, at least in terms of the European stage, there's a real opportunity for this guy, Macron, to become the ace number one guy. Uh, but it doesn't surprise me the president would want to push back against any suggestion that that pipsqueak over there is telling our guy how to do it, right? Right. Uh, This is sort of sad. Um, Former First Lady Barbara Bush, of course, who's had many health problems of late, has said she's not going to seek medical attention anymore.
3: I've been so many
1: places in my life and time.
2: Now, to be to be more accurate, she's not going to be seeking medical treatment to try to prolong right. her life. She is getting comfort care. I don't know if that's the same thing as hospice-style yeah, care. Yeah, Jim Ryan said it is. Okay. Yeah. Uh, at her home, her family is there. Look, she's 92. Yeah. She's got severe COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. She's got pretty serious congestive heart failure. And I can relate to the idea of like, look, I've lived enough. Yeah. You know, and now just make me comfortable and I'll go when it's time to go. You know, they've been married. The Bush has been married for 73 years.
3: Yes. And they met at a dance in 1941. Mm-hmm. George H.W. was 16 at the time. She had just come back from boarding school. And she said that she married the first boy she ever kissed. That's sweet? I love their story.
2: I think some people now might be like, oh, that's ignorant. You know what I mean? But in this case, in this case, it seems to have worked out well.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. It's a little something for everybody out there.
2: Um, all right. You know what? Let's break now. When we come back, uh, number one, you're going to have a chance to win $1,000. Brought to you by Cunning Dental. Missing some teeth? Don't go check your uh, coat in the closet, the pockets there. That's not where they went. Call Cunning Dental for a free exam, 888 640 kfi am 640 it's the bill Handel show bill is out today giving the keynote address at the san bernardino sheriff's conference but that's not going to stop us from doing the normal things like giving you a chance right now to win some cash
0: your shot at one thousand dollars now Text the keyword LUCK to 200, 200 You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's LUCK to 200, 200
2: The winner is notified with a phone call, which you must answer. Like Denman and La Habra did, he won $1,000. Next chance to win, next hour.
3: All right, let's continue. A handle on the news, Jennifer Jones Lee and me. There's a viral video out there this morning that shows an arrest at a Starbucks that's being called controversial. This happened at this store in Philadelphia. So these two guys go in and they're going to use the restroom. And they're two black guys. And they go to the bathroom. Well, the manager says, hey, you can't do that. You got to be a paying customer to use our restroom and tells them to leave. And they won't go. So she calls the cops. Cops show up. And the cops asked them to leave. They still won't leave. So they arrest them on trespassing charges. And that's where things go terribly awry. Some people look at this and say that it was racial profiling. Some people look at this and say, hey, the sign clearly says customers, you know, only using the bathroom. So why is this become a racial issue?
2: Well, there's a wrinkle, I think, that makes it uh, worse for the Starbucks employees. And that is that they said We're waiting for our friend and like we're not ready to order because we're waiting for our friend. And then once the cops showed up and really as the police officers were handcuffing them, the friend shows up and he goes, what's going on? You know, I'm here to meet my friends here. What the heck is happening? And so I think there's an idea that the, the staff at this Starbucks was way too quick. Yeah. To pull the trigger on calling the cops. And then the implication being, was it because they were black?
3: Now, the police commissioner in Philadelphia is African-American. And he says he does. He says, hey, I'm very aware of racial bias. But he said, in this particular case, I think my officers did the right thing. Now, other people are going to say, but hey, these employees, while they might have been quick, maybe that we don't know the backstory. Maybe this type of behavior is very indicative of people using the restroom when they're not actual customers. You know, I mean, come on, we've all done this. And there's two
2: different things. I I haven't really seen anybody criticizing the police officers.
3: Well, some people think they they shouldn't have arrested them, that they they were too aggressive.
2: Yeah, but the problem is, and this is what the commissioner pointed out, the business calls, they say, we don't want these people in our business anymore. They will not leave. It's not the police officer's responsibility to figure out whether the business is overreacting. That's not their. Right. That's not their place. True. So I think that the, the police officers did what they were supposed to do, mm-hmm. and uh, if somebody's wrong here, it's whoever at the Starbucks called the cops. So Starbucks has issued an apology. Oh yeah. Here's- so in a way, if you're trying to stick up for the Starbucks people, their own company has already disavowed what happened
3: oh yeah the ceo's already spoken this is the starbucks regional vice president camille himes we'll work very
5: hard to ensure that we evaluate our training that we uh engage our partners in recognizing unconscious social bias
2: and the other thing is starbucks may really now be in hot water because the um commission on human relations in the city they're going to actually investigate starbucks
3: Ugh
2: whether there's a pattern, so on and so forth. This also, I mean, I wonder if really the bottom line here is it's the problem of having a business with a restroom and being in an area where there aren't a lot of public restrooms.
3: Oh, I think that's always an issue.
2: But it's also, I think, the difference between two black guys coming up and saying, hey, can we use a restroom, and two white guys coming up. We'll never know, because there weren't two white guys who were in there five minutes before who were allowed to use the restroom or didn't have the cops called on them. It looks bad all the way around. Yeah. Uh, Governor of Kentucky having to apologize for some rhetoric around a teacher strike there. There's a country called Kentucky. I call my home. There have been a couple of states with big teacher strikes, West Virginia, Oklahoma, Mm -hmm. Kentucky. Kentucky. So in Kentucky, the governor didn't much like it that the teachers walked out to protest. And so he said, I guarantee, well, I'll paraphrase. We don't need the whole big, long quote. He said, you know what? Those teachers walked away from those kids. And I guarantee you, somewhere in this state, a kid was sexually assaulted. A kid is drinking poison. A kid is getting beaten up. And people said, whoa, that is way too much. So he has now apologized in a video that he posted online saying that it was never his intent to uh, offend anybody. Uh, <laughs> okay. I'm pretty sure it was. Well, no, my intent was I'm going to say this outrageous stuff and you're not going to be offended. That was my intent, that you just not be offended by what I say.
3: <sighs> How irresponsible of you teachers to stand up for what you, you know believe in or whatever. Meanwhile, you put these children at risk. Well, here's the
2: thing. Oh, Let's gosh. say it's true for a second. That because all the teachers were protesting in Frankfort, Kentucky, that some kid drank poison or that somebody, even more to the point, a kid was sexually assaulted. Well, so the problem is there's a sexual assaulter out there. Isn't that what the problem is? Or there's poison that's not being properly stored.
3: Pretty sure you've nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now, we've been trying to come up with issues To help the homeless. And there might be something in West L.A. that could help at least homeless veterans. This is a safe parking program. So homeless vets who live in their cars now can park overnight in the Department of Veterans Affairs West L.A. campus anyway.
2: They're starting off with 10. They're going to start it out Mm -hmm. slow, but it could be dozens and dozens. And you'll actually get an assigned spot. Where you can park your vehicle and uh, sleep overnight and not be hassled. I have zero problem with this. I I, I totally agree. There's two more. Um, There's one, there's a safe parking spot somewhere in Koreatown. I don't know exactly where, and and in South Los Angeles. These are great. The locations are agreeing to do it. And it gets these people where they are safe, but also, and look, let's be honest about the other side of it, where we don't have to see it.
3: Yeah. It's in... It's in a parking lot. They're monitored, I assume. I mean, if especially if there's just 10, they're going to keep an eye on it. It's kind of going to be a pilot project, I would assume. Yes, yeah. and they have a motivation
2: lot. to behave themselves. I'm not trying to make it sound like they're the entire problem, but they have a motivation to behave themselves because otherwise you lose your ability to have the safe parking spot and you're back out on the street where it's dangerous. So I think it's a good idea. Yeah. All right, when we come back, more handle on the news. It's KFI AM 640.
1: Just one mistake is all it will take.
2: We'll go down in history. Remember me for centuries. KFI AM 640. It's the Bill Handel Show. Bill's out today giving the keynote address at the San Bernardino Sheriff's Conference. Uh, go to our Twitter, at Bill Handel Show, and you'll see a picture of him there. And look at the uh, caption on the big poster behind him. That he's standing under and see if that doesn't apply to him (laughs) around here. All right, we're continuing Handle on the News. Jennifer Jones Lee and me and a very bizarre, deadly fire in Studio City. Uh, This was at a set of recording studios slash rehearsal studios. And if you've ever been in a band, you probably know about these places. They just have these soundproof rooms, and you can rent them by the hour, or you can rent them on a lockout basis where you get the room 24-7. Right. And uh, stuff goes on there all around the clock. People are in and out. So in any event, there was a fire that went through there and killed two people and left two people with very serious injuries, and now a guy's been arrested on suspicion of murder.
3: But you're right. I mean, those things that you can reserve space at two o'clock in the morning for two hours if you want it. So people are coming and going all the time. And you really don't get messed with if you're in one of those spaces. I mean, because everybody's doing their own thing. and, And you know you're renting it by the hour. So time's a ticking kind of thing. So you're not paying attention usually to what's going on in the studio next to you. And so I'm not surprised. These are soundproof. I mean, This would be a place to do it if you're gonna do it.
2: But it's you know there was it was a fire. So why is a guy under arrest for murder? Well, Mm. the theory has to be either he set the fire to kill those people
3: or killed them first. He killed
2: them first. He's trying to burn the evidence. Um, Right now, police are very tight-lipped about what's going on. It's a strange case, though.
3: Oh, this is a strange case, and it involves burning too. This one though was the apparent self-inflicted death of this really prominent attorney. This is in New York, and the attorney's name is David Buckle. Now, the reason that we say he's a prominent attorney is because he was the lead attorney in that lawsuit involving Brandon Tina, who was the transgender man who was murdered in Nebraska that Hillary Swank won the Academy Award for, playing him in the movie Boys Don't Cry.
2: He was a huge gay rights uh, attorney. He worked with uh, Lambda. He he was very, very well known. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, he just wrote a suicide note that said, most humans on the planet now breathe air made unhealthy by fossil fuels. I hope my early death by fossil fuel reflects what we are doing to ourselves. And then he set himself on fire.
3: I mean, uh, I mean, that's that is not one that you hear of. Oh, wow.
2: No. Uh, speaking of Suicide. There's a guy who's invented, uh, and please forgive me, I use this word nifty only if you're looking to kill yourself and you want it to be peaceful. He's invented kind of a nifty thing called the Sarco, and, and it was the hit of the uh, what they call, excuse me, the Westerkirk, which is the annual funeral fair in Amsterdam. Sarko is short for sarcophagus. It's basically this uh, booth. That you go into, and you can press a button, and it will fill up with nitrogen, and you'll get dizzy for a bit, and then you'll kind of pass out, and then you'll be dead, and while you're getting dizzy and waiting to pass out, it has screens that will show you images of nature. Oh. Uh, At this funeral fair, they would not let anybody get into it, but what they had are VR goggles that you could put on, and it would simulate getting into it.
3: And don't forget, I think you've missed the... the, uh... Well, again, best part of it,
2: yeah,
3: it comes with a deta- detachable coffin.
2: Right, when you're, di- I guess, just pull you out of there and put you then, in the ground. Nope. Yep. And uh, here's, here's the other part that's kind of weird because he's been confront The guy who in- invented this uh, is a guy from Australia who's a big right-to-die activist, Philip Nitschke. And he was getting hammered over the weekend. On, like, BBC News Hour, and the the presenters were really confronting him about, you know, you're making this thing for people to kill themselves. Like, you're making, and he said, and they said, you're making money off of, you know, people's despair. And he said, I'm not making a dime off this because I'm not selling this. This is a thing that you will 3D print for yourself. So I can, uh, the only thing I can say is he's not trying to make money from it
3: still going to be controversial, though. Wow. Well, uh, is there enough evidence now for a murder trial for Robert Durst when it comes to the killing of his friend here in L.A. in 2000?
2: You know, it's amazing to me. He Wasn't he arrested three years ago now? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they still have not gotten past the preliminary hearing stage in this case made famous, of course, by that HBO documentary, The Jinx. But apparently they're going to try to get past that stage. Here's the problem. Uh, For one thing, a lot of the evidence uh, is people saying things that Robert Durst says. Okay. Uh, So you got a lot of hearsay. Right. Including stuff from the victim, Susan Berman, who of course can't testify now about things that Robert Durst said or things that she said to other people that he's going to kill me because he killed her. Right. I'm sorry, he allegedly killed Alleg- right? And uh, also, you've got a lot of people who, uh, if this goes on too much longer, they might not be available to come to the trial, right? So the longer that the defense is able to delay things, the better chance they have at, at having, that the DA will have less evidence to present at an eventual trial.
3: And how old, is, what, 75? He's 75 now. Yeah. And he's in pretty poor health, right?
2: Uh, he's not doing that well. So, there's, I mean, this may never actually come to trial. Wow. Okay, this is very sad
3: oh, for, both, for both
2: movie fans, but also, of course, for the military. Uh, R. Lee Ermey, dead at 74. What have we got here? I got your name! I got your ass! Maybe best known for, uh, for playing that role in Full Metal Jacket, but he was in many films.
3: Films and I didn't know too. He was a voice of a lot of video games. Yes,
2: because he in has an amazing voice. Oh my gosh! And yeah. he's a gra- He is. He was a great actor. Yeah. He always. He usually played characters that the character didn't really have a sense of humor. Right. But he had a wonderful sense of humor. And let us not forget, of course, he was an actual marine.
3: Right. Oh yeah. And he did. Um, I don't remember what the show was, but I remember uh, Scott used to watch it was some military show where he, you know, it was like one of these military history shows or whatever. And he hosted that. And there was something about having a guy still dressed in uniform, giving you the history in these stories. And he was he was just great. But that the cut that John played, that was the first thing I thought of when I read that last night. I thought, oh, that's Brian Suits' intro for right. when he comes on Handle.
2: All right. Uh, when we come back, more Handle on the news right here on KFI AM 640. Jennifer KFI AM 640. Bill Handel show. Bill is out today giving the keynote address at the San Bernardino Sheriff's Conference. I just put another photo of him up on our Twitter at Bill Handel show. And uh, if you're missing that corny Bill Handel sense of humor. Well, go look at the latest post on Twitter of him and his caption for his photo. You'll get you'll get all the corny humor you probably need for the whole day. Yes, would be my guess. Uh, we're continuing handle on the news. Jennifer Jones Lee and me.
3: Well, the president's personal attorney says no, it's not true. That FBI raid on my offices and my homes did not turn up evidence of my meeting in Russia.
2: Yeah, this is actually a controversy about whether he was in Prague mm-hmm. meeting with some Russians.
3: And he said, Look, check my passport. There's no stamp, but there's a way he could have gotten there. Yeah, that means nothing in the European Union
2: because right. you can come into any country there and then freely go across the borders and you don't need to get your passport
3: stamped. So So he could have gone indirectly, could have gone through Germany or something and right. got so anyway, the uh you know, whether or not he was there apparently there is a leak because we don't know for sure, but that in that FBI raid that there's confirmation that he was somehow in Russia. But he keeps saying, no, I wasn't. There's no evidence. Looky here.
2: We are all at a disadvantage right now because the, the good information is not out. Right. Which would be the, what they call the return on the search warrant, which would be say this is all the stuff that we took. Uh, and so people like Michael Cohen right now, they can say anything they want
3: will we ever see that how does that work
2: eventually well if there's a trial for example
3: but other than that there's
2: depending on how this goes it is possible we will never know everything about what they found or didn't find hey um this is a big headline but i don't know that it's a big deal over 20 percent of president trump's 2020 re-election campaign money went to legal fees so far this year
1: but i'd like to
2: Over $800,000 in payments for legal consulting made to eight different firms. Almost 350000 of that to Jones Day, one of the biggest law firms on the planet. But you know what? Unless I can tell what percentage of other campaign yeah, exactly. budgets go to legal consulting, I don't know if this is a big deal or not. Yeah. So how about if you're going to... I don't know, report something like this as if it's a big deal. Give me some data to compare it to. But in any event, in case you were wondering, he also paid uh, over $90,000 to Charles Harder. Charles Harder, you may remember him as the attorney for Hulk Hogan who completely destroyed Gawker Media.
3: Oh, right.
2: And Charles, man, I'll tell you, if I wanted to sue somebody and I could afford him, or I could convince him to take it on contingency. That's, exact, that's the first person I, that I would call. So somebody in the Trump world is starting to figure
3: out who the good lawyers are. Well, Wayne, I think you could afford him because you are probably a financially savvy Californian. There's this new report by Smart Asset. That shows we in California tend to save at a much higher rate than most people in the U.S. So congratulations, Californias. This one did surprise me, though. San Francisco got a perfect score of 100. Number two, Santa Maria. Number five, Salinas. Number six, Eureka. Number nine, San Diego. And then I laughed when Sacramento came in number 16. But even up in
2: Sacramento at lowly number 16 of being financially savvy, they save at almost three times the national average. Yeah. That's interesting to me because you would think in California with the high right. real estate prices right. that you'd it would be much harder to save.
3: Maybe it's harder to save, but maybe we're more conscious because it is so expensive to live here that we're thinking our mortgages and our rents are so high. We've got to keep our money close to us. Yeah. I don't
2: know. Uh, and
3: finally... Oh. Just buy your makeup
2: at a reputable store, yeah, poop, poop indeed, poop all threw out a bunch of counterfeit cosmetics that were seized down at uh, the fashion district in downtown l a seven hundred thousand dollars worth of poop infected cosmetics. Fake versions of brands like Kylie and MAC and Urban Decay oh, and boy. Anastasia and Naked and Two-Faced. And they tested very high for uh, other, not just, not just the poop, other bacteria is in there also. And guess what? A little over a year ago, there was a raid down there and the same thing. They got a bunch of fake cosmetics and they were just festooned with feces
3: we didn't learn our lesson no and what happened here's what
2: happens down there every so often people start complaining that the makeup that they're buying there is giving them rashes weird and then law enforcement goes down there and takes it all and invariably it's full of poop all right uh when we come back uh, comey's big television interview last night we have a couple of choice cuts and uh we'll talk about how we feel about all of this it's kfi am 640 KFI AM 640. It's the Bill Handel Show. Bill off today giving the keynote address at the San Bernardino Sheriff's Conference. You can see a couple of pictures of him there on our Twitter, at Bill Handel Show. So far, both he he sent several photos. And so far, his captions are both corny jokes, if that's any surprise to anybody. Go check it out. Here's a couple of the top trending stories we're looking at. Uh, former First Lady Barbara Bush said she's not going back to the hospital anymore. She's going to stay at home and just get comfort care. And the fallout from the missile strikes against Syria continue. Russia doesn't seem to like it. And James Comey's interview on ABC, his first exclusive sit-down television interview, I think since he was fired with George Stephanopoulos, and uh, I'll tell you right now, we'll go through some of this, but honest to goodness, James Comey had an opportunity to behave much more honorably than this, but I think something happened with President Trump and Trump got in his head. And so now Comey doesn't sound that different than President Trump in some cases, Um all right, so let's go. First of all, what does James Comey think about the president's fitness for office?
6: A person who sees moral equivalence in Charlottesville, who talks about and treats women like they're pieces of meat, who lies constantly about matters big and small and insists the American people believe it, that person's not fit to be president of the United States on moral grounds.
2: All right, I mean, that's that's a sentiment that a lot of people have said. And that's actually, for, for James Comey, relatively restrained. This is a guy who, after all, compared our president to a, a mob boss. I also want to make something clear. I feel like I have to stop right now and make something clear because I already can tell. I can feel it. People are getting their phones out. You love Trump. You just love Trump. No, I do not love Trump. I don't. I especially do not like the way he is as the president with the tweeting and the stuff that he says. I think it's gross. But he is the president, and he's not going to change. And we knew what we were getting. Comey, Comey isn't supposed to be like this. Comey doesn't have a history of being like this. Comey is, for some reason, something's happened to his personality. And also, uh, as much as I do not like the president's demeanor and his choice of words, I will tell you, we've had a hard time finding a president lately who's, I feel like Goldilocks. Can't we get a president who's just right? Because Trump is way too vitriolic and unpolished. But President Obama was too much in the other direction. That guy was polished to the point where I wondered sometime if he was a Vulcan. So you have to go back to get presidents who were kind of more, you know, like they appeared to be human a lot, but they didn't get crazy like President Trump gets. So I'm not happy with the whole thing. But also I do have a grudge against Comey. I have a grudge against Comey because he did, he did a couple of things he never should have done. He never should have agreed To come out and be the public voice of the decision to not charge Hillary Clinton with a crime. I'm not talking about whether it was the right decision not to charge her. That's a separate discussion. Never should have done it. That is not what the law enforcement people do. They don't make that decision. And I know that he's hinting that there's some bombshell information about Loretta Lynch that would really explain why he had to do it. And I don't know if it's a secret that we don't know about yet or if he's just referring to the meeting with uh, President Clinton on the tarmac in Arizona. Uh, That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's going on. You don't do that. That's number one. Number two, when uh, they reopened the investigation shortly before the election, I think because wasn't it because of Huma Abaddon's laptop? And they found it. it's like, wait, she's got a bunch of stuff here, too. You don't publicly announce this. Now, I know he didn't technically he didn't come out in front of microphones and announce it, but he publicly told Congress where re- you don't do that either. You don't announce when you're investigating. You don't announce when you're done and you don't announce when you're reopening something. Now, I understand there must have been weird dynamics and pressure in the government at that time. But it doesn't matter. He should have stood up for the idea that I'm not going to do these things, and he didn't do it. So unfortunately, although he has a long, wonderful history as an FBI agent and even as a director, those two things really put me off on this guy. So in any event, um, we get back to this interview, and it really seems like this is very personal for him against the president, and it's personal against him from the president as well. Uh, In any event, one of the big topics here is, you know, is Donald Trump compromised by the Russians? Do they have propaganda on him? So on and so forth. Uh, What does James Comey think about that? What will it mean if President Trump tries to fire Robert Mueller?
6: It would, I hope, set off alarm bells that this is his most serious attack yet on the rule of law.
2: All right. Well, that was him talking about what would happen if... Trump fires Mueller. You know, later in the show, we're going to get into this case that's coming up in front of the Supreme Court, and kind of the headline of the case is boring as can be. Even to somebody like me who loves looking at legal cases, if you just look at the headline of the case, it's like, who cares? But it's actually one of the most important cases that they could hear right now in terms of whether President Trump can and will, in fact, fire uh, Robert Mueller. Why does Comey think, this will be cut number four, why does Comey think he was fired? You don't have it? Something's wrong? All right, that's fine. You know what? Because we're out of time anyway. And also because, quite honestly, I'm not as interested in these two grown men acting like kids as, not, I don't know, should, as I should be. I, should I be more interested in it? The whole the whole thing about it is off-putting, and the whole thing with the level of rhetoric by people who are in positions of power, positions of public prominence, it's just very off-putting and disgusting. So you know what? When we come back, talk about something is happening right here in L.A. with police and fire and pensions, and uh, apparently a lot of police officers and firefighters wanting to jump on what some people say is a big gravy train, and... It'll be your chance to win $1,000 brought to you by Cunning Dental. Are your gums bleeding? That's even more gross than the rhetoric from the president and James Comey. And it's something you could do something about. Call Cunning Dental for a free exam, 888-640-SMILE. This is KFI AM 640. KFI, AM640 Bill Handel Show. Bill off today giving the keynote speech at the San Bernardino Sheriff's Conference. If you go to our Twitter at Bill Handel Show, a couple of pictures of him uh, up there with his corny captions. And uh, before we get into this story about police officers and firefighters rushing to join this retirement program here in LA, how about a chance for you to win some cash?
0: Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword bank to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's bank to 200-200.
2: They notify the winner by calling them. You have to pick up that call. Joyce and Artesia did, and she is $1,000 richer. Your next chance to win, next hour. All right, it's called the drop program, and uh, after the L.A. Times did a big expose, there are a lot of people who think that the city should drop the drop program. Deferred retirement option plan. Los Angeles, far from the only city or county that has a program like that, and it's one of the things we did not invent here in Los Angeles. We copied it, and it tries to solve a problem. Los Angeles Police Department never has had, or at least not since I've been living here for decades, has hasn't had the same number of officers per capita as a lot of other major cities. And uh you know, it doesn't get talked about as much for one reason I think that they have shored up the numbers somewhat, but they have more officers per capita in almost every other major city. So they they have a staffing issue that's partly budgetary and uh I don't know anybody Whoever would say, oh, we have more than enough firefighters. I'm not the slightest bit worried that if my house catches on fire that there's plenty of people that can come do it, especially when we go through so many fire seasons. So you also have attractive retirement packages for police officers and firefighters, uh, some of which is well-deserved because those are very, very dangerous jobs, and they can really... Burn you out after a 20, 25 year career. So what do you do when you want to have enough police and fire, but also there's a pretty big incentive for people to retire as soon as they meet the minimum qualifications. You put in this drop program and it says, here's what we're going to do. You could retire, but if you don't retire and you keep working, we're going to pay you also your retirement while you're, continuing to work for us. So it's basically a way of saying, please don't go just for the money. Please don't go just to get your pension. Well, as with any program, anywhere that has more than 10 people in it, you're going to see people who take advantage of it. And the LA Times, and you may remember uh, when these articles came out, we talked about it here on the Bill Handel Show, that there were certain firefighters and police officers who would, um, they'd enter the program And then they would go out on medical leave. Oh, my back hurts or whatever. So that they're collecting a salary and a pension and they're not working. And this has caused major reevaluation of the whole thing. One of the problems is that when we decided to copy this program from other cities, we did not incorporate some of the safeguards that those other cities put in there. To make sure that this kind of abuse couldn't happen, for example, up in San Francisco, they uh, had, well, they don't have it anymore, See, they got rid of this program. But when they had it, they had a rule that said, if you're in the program, but you go out on an injury leave, you don't get your pension payments during those times. So there would be no incentive for any police officer to do this meaning you would only go out on injury leave if you really needed to be out on injury leave because there's no economic benefit otherwise. We we didn't do that. And also, there's some people on the city council who, because they get so much financial support from the police unions and fire unions, don't seem to have much of an appetite to reform this program because back in 2016, the city administrative officer said... We shouldn't even have this program anymore. We don't need it to retain people. It's never been cost effective, which is one of the selling points from people who support it. They say, look, this is actually less expensive than having to gear up a huge recruitment process and also to, as opposed to other ways to have police officers stay on the job. And he said, yeah, it doesn't actually save anybody any money. And so Garcetti... Mitch Eglender, Paul Koretz, Herb Wesson, Paul Krikorian, they ignored this. They were like, yeah, we're going to keep doing it, and we're going to keep doing it the way we're doing it. Now, more recently, Mayor Garcetti has said, oh, we definitely want to keep the program going. We should make some adjustments, and one of the adjustments is what they were doing up in San Francisco. You go out on injury leave, you don't get your pension payments. So in light of all of this, there has been a significant increase in the number of cops and firefighters joining this program. In February, they had the most enrollees, I think, since the program began. 129 people signed up. It doesn't sound like a lot of people, but it's a lot of people relative to the monthly average of 25, probably because... They're worried the program will go away. They're not going to pull it away from people who are already in it. So you got to get in now. And we'll see whether they make any of these reforms at all. All right. When we come back, Moolah Monday with Guy Adami right here on KFI AM 640. Jennifer Jones, Lee, some news.
6: Money talk. talk. To Moolah or not to Moolah? Here comes the money. Drive right by handle, flip them the bird, and then keep going.
2: KFI AM six forty, it's the Bill Handel Show. Bill off today giving the keynote address at the San Bernardino Sheriff's Conference. But we of course have Guy Adami for Moolah Monday. Good morning, sir. How are you?
6: San Bernardino Sheriff's Conference. That's a thing. It's That's a fantastic. big thing.
2: Many, many booths from exhibitors with uh, law enforcement related products and services.
6: And handles giving and handles giving the keynote. Yes outstanding that that is outstanding sorry i just you know i I need to be educated on these things anyway
2: let's start with this uh one of the headlines today financially speaking is that u.s equity index futures rose Mm -hmm. what are those
6: what are those? Well, it's the futures. In other words, before the market opens, it's the bets that people are making as to where the market will open at the bell at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time. And the markets were indicated higher, and they've traded higher since Dow. I think is up 200 points or so. The reason why you bring this up, I think, is because obviously on Friday evening, uh, the president, along with France and England, decided to send some missiles to Syria uh, to send a message. Regardless of whether you think about that, I mean, that's what happened. And I think people were concerned that if that did happen this weekend, the market would open lower. In fact, it was the opposite. I think the reason why is because there seems to be... uh, no retali- retaliation from the Syrians or from the Soviet, or the Soviet Union, excuse me, the Russians. And I think also because it seemed to be a one-off thing, except, you know, according to uh, Defense Secretary Mattis. So I think that sort of calmed the markets, and I think that's why you're seeing it higher today.
2: Right. Now, let's say that the market was a person, mm-hmm. and we send missiles into Syria. What specifically is that person thinking about in terms of how it's going to affect the market?
6: Well, I think that person is thinking about uh, what, again, what is there going to be? Are there going to be retaliations? Is is somebody going to escalate? Will there be a mishap uh, with one of our planes? Will one of our planes get shot down? Uh, Will things escalate to a point where it becomes... Uh, you know, out of everybody's control, and I think that's what the market is concerned about. So the fact that I think it was a one-off thing had a tremendously calming influence on the person, and the person, as to your point, is the market.
2: Is it just a general um, distaste for chaos, or is there something specific about this situation? Let's say the strike had been more robust, or there had been retaliation, or there had been an accident that you spoke of. Does it have a specific implication for some sector of the market, or is it just that's closer to chaos and the market doesn't like it?
6: I think the implication for the market is it would raise volatility. In heightened volatility, you typically see markets go down. Um, I don't think specifically any sector would be affected in so much as the broader market would probably trade lower with fears that escalate. Anytime anything escalates, it's never necessarily, in my opinion, a good thing. So the fact that at for now, at least, uh, cooler heads have prevailed. Is a market is a good thing, and it dampens volatility. But again, we're in the early innings of a lot of things, and what the market is probably not looking at is, you know, this Miss Daniels is going to be in court today with Mister Cohen. I mean, there are a lot of things happening outside the purview of just geopolitical events. There are a lot of things happening uh, right in front of our eyes that the market just, de- right now, at least, seems to discount tremendously.
2: It, would it be fair or not to say that, in this sense, the market is like a busybody, snoopy neighbor who gets involved in things that really are none of its business because they don't actually affect any of the industries in the market?
6: Yeah, I think one of the great snoopy neighbors uh, was Mrs. Kravitz across the street from, if you recall... uh bewitched. Do you remember that? Yes, absolutely. Habits was the snoot, always peering in and always sort of, you know, she always thought she had the answers, but she never did. And I think to your point, that's what's going on with some of these market pundits. You know, we, we and I say we because I do it for a living, you know, we think we have the answers. Quite frankly, we don't, and we're always looking for the next conspiracy theory or the next exogenous event that's going to knock things down when, quite frankly, I think we try to make it more difficult than it should be, i.e., the nosy neighbor Mrs. Kravitz across the street. By the way, Elizabeth Montgomery was a beautiful woman, but I digress.
2: Yes, uh, you do. Ha <laughs> ha!
6: Now! As, as I'm prone to do. I mean, I, I love that show. And of course, you know, Dick Sargent and Dick York were both uh, Dagwood not Dagwood, but you know. What
1: I'm
2: Durwood? What... <laughs>
6: Darren. Oh, yeah. yeah no, uh, anyway. All right. Sorry about that. That's okay. Darren uh, was his name, but Agnes Moorhead, the mother, always called him the wrong name. Sorry. Now I'm really off the rails.
2: That's okay. We'll get right back on with this. Get uh, back on. Everybody's watching this Supreme Court case about online sales tax. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know. Do you have any prognostications about how the court might rule?
6: I think well, no, but I will say this: I think it's just a matter of time before you do see online sale, and I think you do see it. If I'm not mistaken, you probably know better than I do, but I do think some states actually have that, and I think it's going to be a national thing. So I'd be very any time that there's an opportunity to increase uh, the coffers of government, I think you'll find a way to get that in. So. I think it's just a matter of time before you do see online sales tax. Now, the pushback will be, what's well, the reason why people shop online, and I get it. But I think, it, like many things, it's just a matter of time. Not unlike, by the way, what we're seeing with the legalization of marijuana. I think for a lot of reasons, that's being done to increase tax revenues. And I think you're going to see it here with uh, online sales tax as well. That's just my guess.
2: Now, if people speaking on behalf of smaller online retailers say, this could really put them out of business because of the complexity of having to figure out each state's sales tax structure and then comply with those with those new requirements. Do you think that's a legitimate concern?
6: Totally legit. Regu- increased regulation hurts the little guy more than it hurts the big guy because the big guys and gals are better suited to take it on in terms of um, their ability to – to pay for it, number one, and their ability to understand it and deal with it on a, on, a, on a compliance level. So, you know, a lot of times regulation is put in place to help the little guy, but in fact, most of the time, increased regulation hurts the little guy, but that's an entirely different uh, set of, it's, you know, different conversation.
2: All right, hey! Thank you so much. It was good talking to you. I
6: enjoyed this, I'm and sorry, uh, I, got a I know bit you'll be on rails. with Jen.
2: You're going to be on with Jen during the week, right? On Wake Up Call. Jen and
6: I are actually going to sing a song tomorrow. Seriously? You care? Oh, yeah. we, it's a duet. We, yeah. Yes. We, we wrote a song. Jen wrote the music. I wrote the lyrics. Yep. Like sort of McCartney, Lennon, and McCartney type thing, <laughs> and it's going to be played live tomorrow on JJ's show.
2: Oh, I'll be here at five a.m. for that. Yeah. yeah. All right, yeah. sir. Tune in. Another arrow in your quiver. We'll talk to you again soon on this show as well. Later. Right, take it easy, Guy. There he goes, Guy Adami.
3: It all started I with cannot him wait. trying to find a song that had the word Kvetch in it. Oh, mm-hmm. so you made one. I I challenged him, and he took that challenge and ran with it. Fantastic. All right. Uh, when we come back,
2: since we're kind of talking about economic things, does the head of your company make way too much more than you do? Does Bill Handel make way too much more than we do? Let's uh, get into this issue, the ratio of CEO earnings to ordinary plebeian earnings. In the spotlight, next, it's KFI AM 640. KFI AM 640, it's the Bill Handel Show. Bill out today giving the keynote speech at the San Bernardino Sheriff's Conference. Did anybody else get uh, photos from him? Okay. <clears throat> so I want to put up more, but it's hard because I'm filling in the same time. But we'll get them up, uh, you know, as soon as we can get some more up. But they're two up already on Twitter, at Bill Handel Show. You can go look at him out there. And his corny sense of humor is intact, as you will see from the captions so does the head of your company make a lot more money than you almost certainly and now apparently you can find out how much more and it all has to do with the aftermath of the uh the recession of some years ago so for example uh locally down in long beach there's a company called molina healthcare and the CEO is going to take home just about $21 million this year, and that's 450 times what their median employee makes. Irvine, a company called Edwards Life Sciences, oh, you know, they make heart valves. And their head made uh, almost $11 million last year, 215 times more than the median employee over in glendale the ceo of public storage earned ten and a half million dollars four hundred and thirty nine times the salary of their median worker and all of this information uh, is coming up because there's a new federal mandate that has been in the works for years now publicly traded companies have been reporting their top people's pay since 1933. Although usually it's somewhere in a proxy statement that they file with the Securities and Exchange Commission. But then uh, 2010, you remember old Dodd-Frank, the Dodd-Frank Wall Street reform bill, and it was, among other things, an attempt to get some transparency going on at these corporations. Now it's easier to figure out What the ratio is of the head of the company to the median employee, and of course for median employee, I always wonder when do you decide to use average, right? Where you add up everything that everybody's making, divide it by the number of employees, or when do you decide to use the median, which is the salary at which exactly half of your employees make more than that and half make less, Because it's very important if you're going to vilify a company because they have a very high ratio of what the CEO makes compared to the employees. Number one, it's very important which stat you choose, and they're using median for this, but also because you have to know about the company. Because sometimes the ratios will depend on what kind of company that it is. For example, let's say that you're a tech company, you may have a much higher median because even your, quote, lowly employees are making good salaries. But if you're a company that, especially if you're a company that uses a lot of foreign labor, your median income is going to be much lower. And that means that your ratio to what the CEO makes may may be much higher. But it doesn't necessarily mean that the CEO is making, quote, too much money. For example, Mattel. Now, (laughs) over at Mattel, uh, the CEO made $31.3 million last year. Now, there, there were some big bonuses that contributed to that. And it turns out that the ratio of what she made to the median employee is the ratio now is four thousand nine hundred and eighty seven to one. But three fourths of Mattel's workforce is not here. It's in China and other countries that don't pay much. So the median worker salary for Mattel is only 6200 bucks. So in that case, it's not so much that she made an outsized amount of money. It's that they've got a bunch of employees that they don't have to pay very much because they're in other, other countries. And I know a lot of times you'll see people write about the fact that in Japan, for example, they make a point that the head of the company can't make too much more than the average employee. Um, but also in Japan, although it is a is pretty much a free market economy, it's not a free market economy like ours in this country. And this is simply one of the um, – symptoms. I say symptom. It makes it sound like it's a disease. But it's it's one of the things you get when you have a strong free market economy because the people at the top are always going to be paid way more money because they're viewed as the people – who are largely responsible for the success of the company and a lot of people think well what about the employees and that's the debate that's going on all right when we come back a tom rivers will join us with the fallout from the attack on syria this is kfi am640 jennifer jones lee has some news right now I feel- AM 640, it's the Bill Handel Show. Bill off today. He is giving the keynote speech at the San Bernardino Sheriff's Conference. And uh, if you want to see him there, go to our Instagram, at Bill Handel Show. And there's a picture of him uh, getting ready to give his big speech. In the meantime, of course, uh, things happening in the world. Most notably, the strike against Syria and the aftermath. Joining us now, Tom Rivers who's got the scoop. Good morning, sir. Well, it's good morning to us.
7: Hey, good morning, uh, Wayne. Yeah, today's kind of the day of uh, having a look and seeing exactly what went down. And uh, Parliament is back in session here, Wayne.
2: No, you're in in London, which is really one of the major epicenters of this whole thing because Britain, one of the big buy-ins for this missile attack and looking for possible retaliation against them.
7: Well, exactly. I mean, it was, I mean, heavy lifting was the U.S., obviously, but they had some uh, coalition cover in the form of France and the U.K. Politicians back in session today, they said uh, they should have been called back from early recess on Friday because standard operating procedure here is, although it's not in the Constitution, they can, and they usually do, go to Parliament. They debate uh, major uh, changes in a military campaign. They do sometimes vote on it. They don't other times, but at least they kick it around. And uh, they really didn't get a chance because uh, they, were, they were off, as I say, last week. So uh, there's going to be a statement uh, probably in you know, the next half hour from Theresa May, uh, the prime minister. And uh, in essence, they're going to be you know examining the legal basis for what she did and also examining why the urgency, why time was of the essence, she said, why they couldn't wait until the OPCW, the international chemical weapons experts, go in, do their job forensically, say yay or nay in Duma, come back and then say, OK, now we're going to uh, do whatever we have to do, because it was well telegraphed anyways. So there was no surprise element in this in the wee hours of Saturday morning in Syria.
2: All right, it, it- I mean, you've got a sense of how it is over there. Do you feel like they're more interested in whether they want to be mad that this happened as opposed to be mad at what's going on over in Syria?
7: Well, as as it's been pointed out, this was probably at least this is one of 34 chemical incidents over the past almost now eight years. Um, many of them have been attributed to the government. Some of them, according to Amnesty International, attributed to the rebels. Um, and and why to in essence go so crazy now when the game is over, when the Syrian government forces captured Duma? That was the last major piece of territory that they had recaptured. So it, it, it you know it's not going to change the dynamics. You hear the words "this is not regime change" from Theresa May. But again, why didn't you jump in when chemical incident number 17, or, or 14, or 12? Many people are saying if you wanted to affect some change in that country, you should have done it in 2013, when the world backed away from firing missiles. To do it now is like to say let's uh, let's put in a pinch hitter. That's uh, it's 17 to three. It's the bottom of the ninth, and there's two out. It's not going to have any effect.
2: So, are they having a similar debate in many circles that we're having over here? People who are focused on whether or not – over here it's the argument whether or not President Trump had the the constitutional authority – to order this strike. Are they kind of arguing the same kinds of things over there?
7: It's a similar thing, sort of a war powers act. Uh, As you know, in America, that that has been raised many, many times. Recent, quote-unquote, conflicts, it's always been off the back of the executive. And if you look historically, no, you're supposed to bounce that that to Congress, and uh, Congress has to sign off on it and say yes, yay or nay. Similar situation here. Similar discussions today in, in Paris. Uh, where they're having discussions in Parliament, and in Strasbourg, France, uh, the Parliament of the European Union. So so there's a lot of people talking today. I think a lot of people are relieved all over Europe saying that uh, you know this was not a heavy-duty strike like it, it may have been, and have called in other proxy players like Russia, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Israel, name it. Uh, it wasn't uh, strong enough to do that. And a lot of people are saying, well, that's, that's OK. Let's, let's go now and let's go and try to get back on track and try to try to find a political settlement, a conclusion to this thing, because it's been going on for way, way too long.
2: It seems like right now the U.S. and, and Britain and France are on one side, and Russia and, of course, Syria and uh, Iran, they're on the other side, but there's this fifth Power. When I say fifth, I'm talking about the U.N. Security Council, right? U.S., France, Britain over here, Russia over here. Uh-huh. And then the fifth, China. And is there any talk over there about, what, like, is China picking a side, or are they trying to remain neutral in this situation? They're
7: kind of, they're just kind of, yeah, they're kind of cooling their jets while they slowly influence uh, other countries around the world. In fact, they're putting a big uh, footprint, for instance, uh, in Africa now. So they're just saying, look, we're going to try to, uh, you know— Get our, our financing, our deals with, with various countries. While you guys mess around with, with Syria, we're just going to, you know, let you guys do what you're going to do there because we got other fish to fry elsewhere.
2: How on alert is everybody over there for some kind of retaliation from Russia over this?
7: Um, not really much. Um, I think people understand that the consequences would be too high. Uh, There is no real worry on the street. Uh, It's it's, it's something that you see, you know, the the rhetoric going back and forth. It's pretty pretty strong. But uh, nobody is building uh, bunkers in their backyard at this stage.
2: There's some talk uh, that if there's retaliation from Russia, it will not be military. It will be some kind of cyber attacks. Is that something that they're looking at?
7: there well again we've had we had one what about a year ago where most of the uh, national health service was was brought down um again uh, there there there's you know some concern in those quarters but again the defenses here are 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 not where they should be, got to do with the funding. This government is uh, very austerity-born, and uh, a lot of the systems are old Windows XP. Uh, take some money, throw it at it, upgrade it. No, they don't want to do that. And uh, that's that's major problem over here.
2: Uh, one last thing. Is, is there any sizable contingent of people over there who doubt that there was a chemical attack and that Syria was behind it?
7: I think I think there, I, I couldn't put a figure on it, but given the fact that Tony Blair bounced this country into what many Brits say is, was an illegal war in Iraq, the the actions in, in Libya, and uh, to see that that country is still Mad Max land today, people uh, that have been kicked in the shins twice, they uh, a little bit shy third time around. Be uh, going into this thing, uh, youGov poll here was sort of like the Gallup in the in the UK. Uh, they found that 22% of Brits were supporting some kind of an action. This was probably Thursday of last week. Uh, and 43% were against. So a two-to-one margin said, you know, let's, let's sit this one out, guys. Let, let uh, Uncle Sam do it. If anybody else wants to participate, so be it. But uh, Theresa May went ahead anyway.
2: All right, uh, Tom, thank you so much for your insight. Really appreciate it. Take care. All right, there he goes, Tom Rivers. Now, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back... Your chance to win $1,000 brought to you by Cunning Dental. Does your tooth ache? Call Cunning Dental for a free exam. 888 640 SMILE. This is KFI AM 640. We ain't ever older. KFI AM 640, Bill Handel show. Uh, Bill's out today giving the keynote address at the San Bernardino Sheriff's Conference, and uh, he's sending more pictures. And uh, when we get a chance over here, we'll put some more pictures of him out there. I want to say, uh, based on the pictures that he's sending, he seems to be behaving himself. I have not seen one picture of him posing with a sheriff and trying to grab the sheriff's crotch, for example. Now, maybe those pictures he's saving for tomorrow until he's, until he's not on the premises surrounded by sheriffs. All right, uh, it is now time... For you to get a chance to win some cash.
0: your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword WIN to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's WIN to 200-200.
2: If you win, you're going to be notified with a phone call. You need to answer that call. Suzanne in Lancaster answered the call and won $1,000. There's a chance to win every Monday through Friday from 5 a.m. to 7 p.m. All right. Now, sometimes a legal case that looks boring ends up being extremely not boring, and this is what's going on in a case that's going to be heard by the Supreme Court. First, I'll give you what the core of it is about, and it has to do with the Securities and Exchange Commission. They have a bunch of administrative judges, and if you're in trouble, With the Security and Exchange Commission, you go before one of these administrative judges and they're kind of like a a hearing officer and they make some findings and recommendations about what should happen to you, but they don't actually decide what happens to you. And in this case, uh, it involves a guy, you may recognize this name, Ray Lucia, who had a system called Buckets of Money, and you may remember he used to advertise here on KFI quite extensively and he got into some hot water with the SEC and an administrative uh, judge over there found that he had done some bad things and so he is going all the way to the Supreme Court and it's an argument basically about how do you appoint these people to do this job so that isn't that interesting to me however The Solicitor General for the President of the United States, uh, this guy's named Noel Francisco, he has poked his nose into this case, and he wants the Supreme Court to rule much more broadly than they really have to rule. They only have to rule on this limited procedure for appointing these administrative judges at the SEC. But what, uh, what Francisco wants... It's for the Supreme Court to say that the president has the power under the Constitution to fire anybody. Now, he's not mentioning Robert Mueller by name, but it is crystal clear that that is what this is about. And it goes to the heart of an argument that's been going on in this country almost since the beginning. Because you have two groups of people. One group says... Because Congress has all the legislative powers, it can make any kind of government it wants. And if Congress wants to make an agency that the president can't control, Congress can do that. Because they have, quote, all the legislative powers, so they should be able to do whatever they want. And the other side of the argument is they call it the unitary executive theory, and... There's other parts of the Constitution that say the president appoints ambassadors, judges, and all other officers of the United States, and also the president has to uh, take care that the laws be faithfully executed. So they're saying, look, the Constitution gives Congress the legislative powers, but it also gives the president basically supreme power so he can hire and fire anybody that he wants, And if we look at recent history, there is a a chance that the president is going to get what he wants, which is a ruling that says he can fire anybody, anybody, including Robert Mueller. And that's because if you go back to 2010, there was a case that was was similar to this case now. And it had to do with the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, where this was the Securities and Exchange Commission, And they created this independent board and they said, the people on this board can only be fired for good cause. That was in the law. The president can't just decide one day. He doesn't like somebody anymore. Well, that case went to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court struck that down. And Chief Justice Roberts said, it's unconstitutional to shield those people on that board from presidential power and presidential control because they are officers of the United States. And there are people who would like to read that very broadly. Basically, anybody working for the government in any capacity is an officer of the United States. And the only way that the president can both appoint officers of the United States and also make sure the laws are faithfully executed is if he also has the power to fire any of those people. And that's where Robert Mueller comes in, because if the Trump administration can get what they want out of the Supreme Court now. It would seemingly clear the path for the president to directly fire Robert Mueller if he wants to do that. And the last thing to know is the Supreme Court did agree to let Noel Francisco participate in the arguments at the Supreme Court about it, which means they're already giving him a lot of latitude Uh, to get the president this constitutional power. All right, when we come back, it is Handle on the News Late Edition. This is KFI AM 640, Jennifer Jones-Lee.
0: Handle on the News. Late Edition. Handle on the News. And now. KFI AM
2: 640. If this is true, then, uh, Jennifer, you're a Garth.
3: Oh, I am. Showing. I mean, your hair
2: is not, it's not the same as Garth's, but it's not, <laughs> not the same. Thank you. Right? <laughs> I play mean air guitar. Let me see. I think that. Actually, hold that. You know what? During the break, we'll get a little video of you playing air guitar <laughs> yeah. and put that up for people to see. Oh, uh, it Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is- That's
5: great. Yeah.
2: Thank you for playing along. Uh, It is a Bill Handel show. Bill out today giving the keynote speech at the San Bernardino Sheriff's Conference. Another picture up on our Twitter, at Bill Handel Show. And you can see him there uh, with a bunch of guys in uniform. That's really intimidating
3: to go before a whole room of cops.
2: Not for him. He's not. Although he's behaving himself. Uh, But also in this photograph, you can see the person... Who is most important to bill getting through the day uh without messing it up oh she is right there next to him in this photograph uh, so go check it out on our twitter now let's do handle on the news late edition with garth and me
3: <laughs> lead story
2: yeah lead story thank you down <laughs> A mass casualty incident at a South Carolina prison. Seven inmates killed. At least 17 other inmates requiring medical attention. And uh, some guys got where they weren't supposed to be and they all started fighting with each other. And man, uh, they got problems with those prisons in South Carolina. They really do. This is the deadliest violence outbreak um, in recent history but last year four inmates were killed at a different prison in uh, South Carolina same kind of thing they get into a big fight and that and the prison system there's had many violent incidents like this
3: yeah the prisoners don't just go after each other they go after the wardens too oh the... yeah 3 weeks ago
2: uh some inmates briefly held an officer hostage and they took control of part of the dorm now these are all at different prisons it's not one prison has all these problems every day but if you're in prison in South Carolina On any given day, there's a high likelihood uh, that some S is going to break out for you.
3: Well, uh, Nikki Haley says if we are not smart, we too could have a chemical attack right here in the U.S. She was on Fox News Sunday, and she said this very easily could happen in the U.S. if we're not smart and if we're not conscious of what's happening and that we cannot allow even the smallest use of chemical weapons. And that's why you saw the president strike this past weekend.
2: It's actually interesting to me that we haven't had one.
3: Yeah. That
2: for some reason, uh, a combination of however difficult it must be To get into the country with a chemical agent, coupled with law enforcement's abilities to detect and stop those plots. Now, we haven't had a release of a chemical weapon here by some terrorists. But she's right. Obviously, we can't just rest on our laurels. And also, she's right. If we're dumb, it could end up happening. Yeah. Well, uh, over in Great Britain, they're getting ready for possible Russian retaliation. And this is over, of course, uh, Britain's participation in those strikes against Syria, but they're they're mostly looking at some kind of cyber response from Russia. UK's National Cyber Security Center said the threat of a cyber attack
3: against Britain from Russia is at its highest possible level. And that makes sense that it would be a cyber attack. Yeah. Because that way they can do it. They can always claim, oh, it wasn't us again. And... You know, eventually we'll be able to trace it back to somebody you would think. And, and eventually... then they'll deny
2: it. Right. And then everybody, it it'll just be this stupid thing where we have our reality where we know they did it and they have their reality where they swear they didn't. Right. Um. Oh, no. I know. The vice president. Look, when you're a vice president. It's always this job. Sometimes the job is made fun of. You don't really get to do anything. And unfortunately, That's coming true for Mike Pence. He wanted to uh, have John Lerner, a guy who is currently a deputy to Nikki Haley. He wanted to have John Lerner come on board as his national security advisor because the vice president gets to have his own advisor. And uh, John Lerner's out. He's pulled out. Apparently it was causing too much consternation, according to one, this is supposedly a GOP source, said it caused a big damn mess. (laughs) And it's because John Lerner is on record as being anti-President Trump. Well, you could see how that could cause a little mess. And so uh, the president wanted to block Pence from hiring the guy, and I guess John Lerner said, look, I don't need any of this. Because he still has his job with Nikki Haley. Yeah. So you know what? One government job per person is probably fair anyway, right? <laughs> Speaking of government jobs and vice presidents, former Vice President Joe Biden will not rule out running for president in
3: 2020. Yeah. of the.
2: Remember when he said he'd like to beat the hell out of uh, Donald Trump?
3: Oh, yeah. Well,
2: I guess now he's thinking about trying to beat the hell out of him at the ballot box.
3: I think this was a given. Didn't you you assume he was going to run? Well, he hasn't said he's going to run. He just will
2: not say that he won't run. Which is why I think he will run. And here's what he's saying, and I sort of get this. He's saying, well, I hope other people step up. He's basically saying, I hope somebody good runs. But if nobody good will run for the Democrats, I'll do it. All right, let's uh, take our pause here. And then when we come back, more Handle on the News Late Edition, right here on KFI AM 640. KFI AM 640, it's the Bill Handel Show. Bill is out giving the keynote address to the San Bernardino Sheriff's Conference, uh, and there's photos of him there at, on our Twitter, at Bill Handel Show, and our Instagram, at Bill Handel Show. We're continuing Handle on the News Late Edition with Jennifer Jones
3: Lee and me. There's a man from San Pedro who is pleading guilty to threatening to kill Representative Maxine Waters, and Wayne, I feel like it's our fault. If you call it wow. Yeah. How? Because the guy claims... He only phoned this thread in after he heard that Maxine Waters had bashed President Trump on talk radio. Oh,
2: well, then maybe uh, one of us needs to go. I'm saying face the court. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a federal charge. The statutory maximum is 10 years. I don't think he'll get 10 years and he's going to plead today.
3: Now, he, on top of the death threat, he apparently used the N-word and an anti-gay slur, mm-hmm. and he says, hey, look, I admit I made the call, but I had no intent to carry it through.
2: Anthony Scott Lloyd is his name, and he apparently doesn't understand that it doesn't matter whether you intend to carry out the threat or not. <laughs> it's just as illegal. Also, and look, I'm not trying to bash the guy, but uh, he lives with his grandmother. Oh. Maybe for good reasons.
3: Maybe she needs help.
2: Could be. Well, that Starbucks in uh, Philadelphia where two black men were arrested now was swarmed with protesters. i got to
0: fight the fight the
2: I gotta say this. A couple of things. Number one, if you see the video of them being arrested, the first thing we should say is they show up there and uh, they don't order anything because uh, they were apparently waiting for a third friend to show up they did ask to use the restroom this caused the Starbucks people to get concerned and they called the cops the cops had no choice in the moment but to arrest them because they wouldn't leave voluntarily although they did not make a ruckus and if you see the video you know they're totally mellow totally compliant and i also notice i have not seen them in the media trying to get publicity for themselves
3: no, mostly it's just the headline from the Starbucks CEO or the regional person you know, saying that they were sorry, or the Philadelphia police chief saying that he feels his officers were in the right, because all they did was answer a call.
2: Right. They had no choice. They can't say like, OK, you're calling us as a business. You don't want this person in your business. They won't leave voluntarily. Sorry. That's not how it works. Right. Uh, and Starbucks has apologized. So we'll see if this gets legs in terms of a protest movement or not.
3: Oh, I don't know if you should have written something like this lady there's a columnist who has written black men might be better off at home after the shooting of stefan clark in sacramento so this woman marcia corson wrote this article and she said According to the Sacramento Bee, the latest census data show 89% of residents who live in Rancho Murrieta are white, 1% are black. And then she goes on to say that police have to be careful not to overreact and you black men might be better off at home after a certain hour. Now, the she won't respond. Apparently, they've been trying to get in touch with her and she's not commenting. Her <laughs> boss, however says, we do not condone the notion of a minority curfew. And the columnist is the definition of tone deaf on this issue. I called the mor- this morning and let her know I was upset. And they say that there will be an explanation in next week's edition. But, I mean, short of her saying something, how can he explain anything for her?
2: He can't. Uh, I think we're past the point in society of of wanting to know what was in people's head. Heads when they say things, although we we should. It is relevant, and I just here's the thing: Is it possible that what that when she said uh, black men might be better off at home, that that's another way of saying, yeah, the cops are really racist and dangerous. In other words, was it was it piling on the first part of the sentence? Police have to be careful not to overreact. Or was she doing what some people are saying, which is saying, yeah, yeah, cops should calm down, but you black guys should stay home.
3: And it's just hard to know. It's hard to know, but either way, it just...
2: No, you, it looks you, terrible yeah. right now, and whether or not she'll have an opportunity to speak, I don't know. Well, uh, a cop up in Oakland is suing, saying he was wrongfully terminated. Yes, I'm going to sue! 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 So I suppose yes, we need to know you! why he was terminated. Well, uh, this guy's named Cullen Faith, and one night back in 2015, he's out with a buddy at uh, Monaghan's Bar. Which great is, bar, by the that's way. That's it, but it's where all the
3: cops are. That's why it's In Oakland, bar. right? Super fun.
2: Gets drunk, <laughs> ends up at some random house, banging on the door, demanding to be let in. The, uh, the guy who lives at the house comes out, so the cop kicks him in the stomach. Oh, then the woman comes out, and he throws her... To the ground, he was charged with some misdemeanors. He did plead no contest to public intoxication and disturbing the peace. Got one day in jail. He's on probation through uh, March of 2021. So they fired him from being a cop, and he says that wasn't fair.
3: Mm, um, it's probably fair. I would think so. And the part that, not only that, but did you see that? So the the family, the couple. That he kicked and you know, through or whatever. They file this federal rights suit against the city and Faith. But they settled for thirty five grand. I feel like they could have gotten a lot more somehow.
2: It depends. It's, you know, one guy got kicked in the stomach. The lady got thrown to the ground. I don't know. By, you know, off-duty drunk cop, though. I'm sort of surprised that he wants to revisit that fateful night.
3: Yeah, you might just
2: leave it alone. Let it go. That's fine. And we'll see what happens. All right. That is Handle on the News Late Edition now. When we come back. Uh, Industry analyst Rob Enderly is going to join us. There is a crazy new device that law enforcement agencies are buying up like hotcakes, and uh, you probably want to know what it can do. This is KFI AM640. Jennifer Jones Lee's got some news.
1: Reluctantly crouched at the starting line. Engines pumping and thumping in time. The green light flashes. The flags go up. Turning and burning, they yearn for the cup. They definitely maneuver. KFI
2: AM 640. This is the Bill Handel Show. Uh, Bill is off today giving the keynote speech at the San Bernardino Sheriff's Conference. Photos of him there on our Twitter and Instagram at Bill Handel Show. All right, let's get into this. Joining me now, industry analyst Rob Enderlee. Welcome back. To, oh, no, I locked him. Fix that, John. I'm sorry. I went to put him on, and I guess he was already on. Welcome back to KFI, sir. Thanks for having me. All right, let's get right into this. It's called Gray Key, and it has law enforcement quite excited.
4: Absolutely.
2: What is it, and what does it do?
4: <clears throat> gray Key. <laughs> I actually thought we were going to talk about Facebook today. All right. Uh, so the, the uh, uh, Gray Key.
2: I'm sorry, did I, did I throw you a curveball? Because I was told we were going to talk about the gray key box, but let's not. Let's, let's talk not. about the piece that you wrote. Yes. You have a bold uh, prediction, which is that something's going to happen with Facebook and Google in the next five to ten years.
4: Yeah, I think they're going to, be, they're going to become nationalized. Um, the the reason why is because both companies uh, have been abusing the national trust. Um, uh, Google certainly was engaged pretty heavily with the Obama administration and the underlying belief that they had had an adverse impact on adverse impact, but an impact on the elections beyond what folks thought were reasonable. And clearly, they were embedded so much with the administration that they avoided their antitrust uh, repercussions. Facebook didn't quite have those connections. A different set of circumstances, but clearly now being held up as uh, changing the latest election uh, towards Trump with Cambridge Analytica, and um, and on paper, uh, the U.S. government owns them now because the fines connected to their FTC consent decree um, mathematically exceed a trillion dollars, which is more significantly more than the total assets they have. Now, currently, the plan is not to shut them down or take them over. Though I should point out, if it was you or me. And we incurred fines more than the money that we had. We'd probably be looking at living underneath a bridge or a curb uh, the following week. But the big companies have certain privileges that we we don't get. But in any case, the the underlying problem is that both firms, and this came up in the book technically wrong, um, tend to take their users for granted. Uh, More than that, they tend to to harvest their users. They think of us as product, not customers. And the end result is they tend to, tend to abuse us and, and abuse us rather significantly. So, the, so the, my belief is, is as this goes on and as these behaviors continue to aggregate, uh, the government will come around to the idea that this information that they've been harvesting, if it belongs to anybody other than us, it probably belongs to the government. And the government will there, thereby either nationalize it or put it under so many controls that effectively uh, these, these firms will become utilities and, uh, much like a power utility, become heavily regulated.
2: And you, and you have an idea, and I don't know how many people share this idea, that in some ways that all of this uh, accumulating of data by these companies is in a way more powerful than if they were getting a bunch of nuclear bombs.
4: Well, because if you think about it, if, if you can't, I mean, governments control nuclear weapons, and if you can control the government, then you can control those weapons. And so, in in theory, by... By being able to aggravate us, by being able to make us angry, but by being able to focus our anger on different countries and geographies, which is the power that was demonstrated with Cambridge Analytica. In fact, in other countries, they've clearly swung elections towards despots. Uh, despots, of course, who have weapons. So, the, so the the end result is, if you if you can control a government, then you can control the entire arsenal. So. You, you, as a company you might be able to build one or two bombs if you can control the US government you've got the entire arsenal at your disposal not to mention the army navy and air force so the so the so the, the the power is unprecedented and if you look at some of the stuff facebook is planning on doing in the future in the future in terms of being able to control and manipulate us it's it's really getting very close to this idea of brain control which is incredibly dangerous i mean the, you start manipu you, you take a a company that is operating under questionable ethics and you give them this kind of power and you have a danger that's unprecedented. You certainly don't have a democracy anymore. So the, so then, of course, some would argue we don't now. But, the, but, the, but at the end of the day, that kind of power governments don't like to have in anything but governments. And I think a lot of folks are a little nervous about that kind of power existing in governments.
2: Is the issue here that companies like Facebook and Google have all this data, or is the issue really they have all this data and they can't keep other people from misusing it?
4: Well, the problem is is they they don't treat the data, one, they don't treat the data as currency, which is what it is. We pay for the service with our data, so they don't treat it. They don't seem to value it as much as they should and thus thereby protect it. Uh, and the other problem is, is because they look at us like a... Um, Something they harvest, of uh, uh, you know, like a like a crop or a or a cow for that matter, um, they don't they don't really not thinking of the long term implications of what it is they're doing, and so they're more interested. I mean, if you think about this, the the money they got from Cambridge Analytical was maybe in the millions uh the risk they took was in the trillions i mean that if you want to define uh, penny wise and pound foolish is you know it's millions wise and trillions foolish it they took for what was a relatively insignificant amount of money for them a uh, going out of business risk and that and that just showcases there's fundamentally something wrong with their decision-making process, and you certainly don't want somebody, an entity like that, with with the power to take over a government, because they're going to think tactically, they're going to take the money up front, and suddenly we're all working for Russia. So the so the uh, uh, so there lies the big problem: is that the model that Google and Facebook live under, which takes the user, the customers, the citizens of the the country they're operating in, and, and trivializes them in favor of getting some money regardless of the source, that's really dangerous because. Basically, it means uh, North Korea, with a few million dollars, could buy the United States or control of it. And Russia, with a relatively modest investment, at least appears to have swung an election. So that, so it, it's that kind of thing that just makes me incredibly worried.
2: Wow. All right. I love talking to you. We'll have you on again soon. I look forward to it. All right. Rob Enderley, industry analyst, thank you so much. Uh, because I mentioned it, I was, this, this gray key that I mentioned at the top of the segment... It's a little 4-inch by 4-inch box, and it can unlock any iPhone. Well, not any iPhone, but pretty much any iPhone anybody's still walking around with uh, without, of course, needing the passcode. And what it looks like it does is it just brute force tries every possible passcode because they say it can take between two hours and three days to unlock it, and they figured out a way to get around the fact that the phone will, uh, you know, shut itself down, encrypt itself if there's too many attempts. And law enforcement agencies are buying it up like crazy. Maryland State Police, Indiana State Police, they've already bought a bunch. Miami-Dade County's going to use it. Secret Service is going to buy some, so is the DEA and the State Department. And it's much more economical than the current thing. If you've got a phone right now and you need it unlocked, Your best bet is to go to this company, Celebrite, and they'll do it for you for $5,000. But you can buy one of these gray keys. If you buy the the top version, $30,000, it'll work offline, and you can unlock as many phones as you want. So that's what that's about. When we come back, is uh, California super potville now? Not as much as you might think. And your chance to win $1,000 brought to you by Cunning Dental. Do you need a new smile Call Cunning Dental for a free exam. 888-640-SMILE. Jennifer Jones, Lee, you've got some news.
3: Police in Tustin say they've caught a vandal red-handed. 14 cars were found covered in bright red spray paint scribbles yesterday. Officers found a man in his 40s whose hands were stained in a similar shade. He admitted to the deed. President Trump's personal lawyer is going to be in a federal courtroom in New York today. Attorney Michael Cohen wants access to copies of materials the FBI seized during the last week's raid on his home office and hotel room. And the weather looks good for tonight's SpaceX launch of a NASA satellite from Cape Canaveral. The trans the transiting exoplanet survey satellite, also known as TESS, will look for thousands of planets orbiting other stars. We've got better news for you on the ninety one. We'll check
1: when I can't find the words I just go.
2: KFI AM 640, this is the Bill Handel Show. Bill's back tomorrow. He's giving the keynote speech at the San Bernardino Sheriff's Conference today. Photos of him available on Twitter and Instagram, at Bill Handel Show. Now, your chance to win some cash.
0: Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword MONEY to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's MONEY to 200-200.
2: The winner is notified with a phone call, which you must answer. Like Denman and La Habra did, he won $1,000. Next chance to win, next hour. All right. Uh, The San Jose Mercury News has done some extensive study of uh, what's going on with pot in this state. And it might surprise you to find out that the state overall is nowhere near as marijuana-friendly as our national reputation. Now, if you're in Los Angeles, there's a dispensary on every corner, it seems. Uh, There are other cities where it's a similar situation. Very, very, very marijuana-friendly. But in most of the state, it's just not the case. And it was about 18 months ago that uh, we passed Prop 64, 57% of state voters voted to make recreational marijuana legal. And it took uh, some time for the state to figure out what kind of rules there were going to be, what kind of tax structure that there was going to be. And the interesting latest news is that apparently the taxes are so high that the black market is thriving and they're talking about reducing the taxes at least for a short period of time to try to bring more people into buying their marijuana from a legal licensed dispensary of course here in Los Angeles there are dozens upon dozens i don't think anybody even knows how many dispensaries and delivery services there are and the overwhelming majority of them are illegal and i i don't mean illegal because marijuana is still a schedule one controlled substance with the feds i mean illegal under state and local laws so it is a bit out of control here in la but in a lot of the state it is very very much uh totally controlled to the point of not being available at all there are 482 cities in california and fewer than a third of them allow any kind of cannabis business. That means no recreational, no medical, no cultivation, no manufacturing, no distribution, nothing. There are 58 counties in this state, and only 18 of them allow cannabis businesses in the unincorporated areas. And even when you're talking about medical marijuana, medical marijuana is, first of all, it's legal in well over half the states in this country and has extremely high public support. Polling consistently shows public support for medical marijuana in the 80s, 90 percent. Across all political groups. But even with medical marijuana, less than 20 percent of California cities allow there to be A dispensary. Medical marijuana has been legal in California since 1996. Here's another thing. So a lot of places are basically totally resistant to this happening. Here's another interesting thing that is almost more surprising to me. Of the 144 cities that allow some type of marijuana business in their borders, only 57 of them are taxing it. Now, there's a state excise tax, 15%. I know in LA, I, I, ah, uh, is it 10% or 5%? I'm very sorry, I forget. But there's a city tax on the marijuana in Los Angeles. I think it's 5%. But think about this what kind of a city government votes to allow medical marijuana businesses or recreational businesses? and then says, nah, we're not going to tax them at all. And I guess you could look at it two ways. One of them is, wow, what a dumb, missed opportunity for some additional revenue for your city. And maybe the other way of looking at it is, what a business-friendly decision to make that we're going to let you open up in our city and we're not going to try to take anything out of your pocket. But it also could be a third thing. Under Prop 64... Uh, Let's say you're a city and you can can vote to allow marijuana, but if you want to tax it, you have to get the voters in your city to approve whatever your tax scheme is. So maybe some cities just haven't bothered yet getting around to holding a special election. It's also one more interesting thing, and that is that the state law basically says anybody can grow up to six plants for their own use. But there are some cities, not a lot of them, but there's some cities who have said, we don't care. We're not even going to allow you to grow it under the state law, which they're not really supposed to be restricting, but they are. And Jennifer Jones, Lee, I don't know if either of these cities ring any bells with you. But I know you're from farther north than me. Yeah. Gridley in Butte County. Have yes, you ever heard? by Chico.
3: You have. OK. Yep. And Montague. Yeah, also Kind of that same area. I and
2: think. so, knowing what you, whatever little or much you know about them, does it surprise you those are two cities that have said, we're not even going to allow what the state law says we have to allow? No. Doesn't
3: surprise me. They're very you at all. small. No. They're very small. They're very rural. They're very uh, isolated. No. Doesn't all surprise right.
2: me. Uh, when we come back, a federal judge has just ruled that the Second Amendment does not apply to so-called assault weapons. And uh, I want to give you a little history of how we even got to the point of having something called an
3: assault weapon. It's KFI AM 640. Jennifer Jones-Lee, you've got some news. I think I misspoke. I think Montague's up in Siskiyou County, right? I think. All right. You are correct. KFI AM
2: 640. Bill Handel show, Bill back tomorrow. He's giving the keynote speech to the San Bernardino Sheriff's Conference today. Go to the Facebook page, the official Bill Handel show, and uh, producer Alex has put up a photograph of that hamburger with a tarantula on top of it that uh, they were talking about during the news. Even though I know that you can get an image in your head of a hamburger with a tarantula on top of it, and yet when you see it, you will still be disgusted beyond what your imagination was. Everybody here is gagging a little bit at that story. Uh, All right. I don't have a ton of time to do this, but I will try to do it justice. Federal judge just ruled that um, assault weapons, that assault weapon bans are not a violation of the Second Amendment. And it made me realize that with this gun debate that's going on in this country, that what's happening is both... Sides have a lot of people who are operating under a misapprehension. On the pro gun rights side, there, I think, are too many people who don't understand or don't want to understand how limited your Second Amendment right really is. Because when you look at what the Supreme Court did in the Heller decision, when they did find that you have an individual right to have a gun, But they defined it very narrowly. You have a right to a firearm in your home for protection. You have no right to a gun for sporting. And I'm not suggesting, I don't know anybody suggesting that we ban guns for sporting. Well, I'm not suggesting we ban anything more than we banned already. but, But you don't have a right. You don't have a right to a bunch of stuff. And some people think that they do. And so when we discuss different laws... Some people act as if, oh, obviously it violates the Second Amendment, but the fact of the matter is a lot of times it just doesn't because that right is very narrow. Now, on the other side of it is this confounding problem with the phrase assault weapon and the fact that we have a certain kind of gun that's being tagged a certain kind of way basically for what it looks like. And I wanted to find out how we got here. Like, how did we end up having this problem? And you know what? It goes back really to the shooting at a playground in Stockton, California. I don't know if that rings any bells for you, Jennifer Jones-Lee. It was some time ago, 1989. Um, And, you know, this guy went to a Cleveland elementary school in Stockton and he shot up the place and killed a bunch of people. And uh, here's an interesting side note. He was not the first person to shoot up a playground at a Cleveland Elementary School because before the Cleveland Elementary School playground shooting in Stockton, there was a Cleveland Elementary School playground shooting in San Diego.
3: One of the rare
2: mass shootings perpetrated by a female and also the inspiration for the Boomtown Rats song, I Don't Like Mondays. Because the oh. Brenda, I forgot her last name, but the person down there in San Diego, they said, "Why did you do it?" And she
3: said, "I don't like Monday." I remember that she mentioned right? that in court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and then I Bob remember that. Geldorf wrote that song. Right.
2: right. So here's so here's the thing. So the Stockton shooting, this guy Patrick Purdy, he shows up. He's got a pistol, and he's got what we now call an assault weapon. Now, what it was was a Norinco AKM 56s Norinco which is an abbreviation for China North Industries Group Corporation, and they make a bunch of stuff. They make a lot of military weapons, and they make uh, equipment to get oil out of the ground. They make a bunch of stuff, and they make this gun. Now, where did they get the design for this gun that they make? Well, the AKM stands for, if you translate it from the Russian, Modernized Automatic Kalashnikov. Because, of course, 1947, Mikhail Kalishnikov invents the iconic automatic rifle of our times, the AK-47. And this gun that this guy had looks exactly the same, uh, unless you know one little detail to look for, which is a selector switch. Because what happened is, China, so China makes these, I don't know if they're knockoffs, but they make this AK-47 style gun. Generally, if you want to send those guns to the United States for people to buy, they cannot be fully automatic. So they changed the gun to be a semi-automatic gun, like any other semi-automatic gun uh, that people don't seem to be as upset about, right? One trigger pull, one bullet comes out. So this guy shoots up the Stockton Playground. And he used this gun that from the outside looks like an AK-47, but it doesn't operate like an AK-47. And it just so happens that a few months before that playground attack, uh, there's a guy named Josh Sugarman. He's a very big uh, gun control guy. And he actually started talking about how the strategy for gun control advocates was going to have to change because you may remember prior to the the late 80s most of the gun control talk was about handguns there's even an organization handgun control inc and josh sugarman said people are getting tired of that they're getting burned out it doesn't mean anything anymore what we need to do is we need to to shift over to talking about these scary looking weapons and he may have been the guy who coined the phrase assault weapons, although I'm not hundred percent sure on that. Then comes the Stockton shooting perpetrated with a semi automatic gun that looked to most people like a machine gun. And in fact, this still persists to this day that when people report on the Stockton shooting for whatever reason, they will wrongly say that the guy had an AK forty seven. And so many people assume that he had a machine gun and a lot of people still believe to this day that these shootings that we hear about are being done with machine guns but of course the function of a machine gun and a semi-automatic gun are very very different and so in essence what's happened is that these semi-automatic rifles have been thrown in the public's mind into the same group as hand grenades and machine guns and uh, sawed-off or short-barreled shotguns. And it's totally true that machine guns, grenades, and sawed-off shotguns don't really have much in the way of legitimate purpose. You're not going to hunt with any of those things. Um, Machine guns aren't that good for self-defense at all, nor are hand grenades. Now, some would say a sawed-off shotgun is very good for self-defense, but a sawed-off shotgun really only has one legitimate purpose, and that's to kill another person. So that's why now, because people pro-gun seem to think that the Constitution gives them more rights with regard to weaponry than it than it has been found to give you, and that people against guns are sometimes operating out of a real confusion about what these so-called assault rifles are, Uh, It's very hard, I think, to reach any good solutions because everybody's just arguing about these points and they don't have all the information. When we come back, a tribute to Art Bell, who passed away on Friday. And I'm going to play as much as we can of one of the most famous Art Bell phone calls of all time. It's KFI AM 640. FIM 640. It is the Bill Handel Show. Uh, Bill is back tomorrow. Today, he's in San Bernardino giving the keynote speech to the San Bernardino Sheriff's Conference. There are photos of Are there any photos of him on Facebook yet? Okay, we'll put some photos on Facebook. But there are already photos of him out there on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Bill Handel Show. And if you want to look at something on Facebook that's up there right this second... Go to our Facebook page, the official Bill Handel Show, and uh, there's a very tantalizing photograph of a hamburger with a tarantula on it. On purpose! Not a hamburger and a tarantula crawled up from the ground and got on somebody's hamburger, but a restaurant that's uh, serving that. It's very disgusting. Art Bell passed away on Friday at the age of 72. He was the host of Coast to Coast AM for many, many years. And I don't think that his influence on radio, particularly late-night radio, but all of radio could be ever understated. And uh, Coast to Coast AM, of course, still airs here on KFI with George Norrie and a, a show that has focused to such a great degree on paranormal things and a show that has people listen to it Sometimes for very different reasons. There are many people who listen to Coast to Coast AM and they listen to it because they feel that it's really the only show or certainly the only prominent show on the radio that covers topics that the rest of the media ignores. Things like UFOs and abductions and crop circles and technical remote viewing and so forth. There are other people who listen to Coast to Coast who are, uh, to be charitable, extremely skeptical about all of those topics, and yet they can still enjoy listening to it uh, as a wonderful entertainment. And the thing that I loved about Art Bell in terms of hosting that show, because I think if you host that show, you, you have to kind of decide what your attitude is toward the subject matter. And not only... Did you have Art Bell and you had George Norrie and there are many, many hosts that fill in or that cover weekend shifts. So there's, there's at least a dozen people that I could name that have hosted that show. And they're varying degrees of acceptance or skepticism of what they're talking about. Art Bell managed to walk the perfect line between not Not really poo-pooing the stuff, not presenting these things for ridicule, but also not slavishly assuming that it was all true. And I think that Art Bell hosting that show allowed people to listen to it who believe that all of those things are true and people who think that it's um, preposterous and that it's BS to still listen to that show and enjoy it as an entertainment because of the way that Art Bell handled it. Now, this is what I would like to do, and hopefully this will work uh, technically. One of the very most famous phone calls to that show is one night, I think it was in 1997, a guy called in uh, who said that he had worked at Area 51, and he sounds extremely scared, and then something else happened. So uh, let's listen now.
0: Line, you're on the air. Hello. Hello,
1: Art. Yes. Hi. Um. I. I. I don't have a whole lot of uh, time. Um. Well, look. look let's begin yeah. by finding out whether you're using this
0: line properly or not.
1: Area, uh, area 51. Yes, yeah,
0: um, right. Were you an employee or are you now?
1: I, I a former employee. Former um, employee. I, I, I was let go on a medical discharge about a week ago, and and. <laughs> I, I've kind of been running a, across the country. Um, oh man, I don't know where to start. They're, uh, they're, they're going to, um, they'll triangulate on this position really, really soon. Well, um, you can't spend a lot of time on the phone. So give us something quick. Okay. Um, um. Okay. What, what we're thinking of as, as aliens are, they're, uh, they're, they're extra-dimensional beings that an earlier precursor of the um, space program made contact with uh, they they are not what they claim to be uh, they have infiltrated a lot of uh, uh, a, a lot of aspects of, of of the military establishment particularly the area 51 uh, the, the disasters that are coming they the, the military I'm sorry the, the government knows about them and there's a lot of safe areas in this world that they could begin moving the population to now art but they're not doing they're not doing anything they're not they want the major population centers wiped out <laughs> so that the, the few that are left will be more easily controllable
0: discharge <laughs>
2: Now, that's not KFI right now having technical problems. That's what happened during that call. They were knocked off the air. Um, within a few minutes, Art Bell came back on to talk about it, but it was a. They still to this day don't know what happened that the show started cutting out and then was knocked completely off the air. Was it real? The debate rages to this day about whether that phone call was real from a sincere person or whether it was somebody goofing around or whether it was a plant and whether or not some of the things that happened on that show were planned as a kind of theater of the mind. Um, I have a recollection that that somebody claiming to be that guy called the show again sometime later and said that it was a hoax But people are not sure that the guy who called and said that was me and it was a hoax is, in fact, the guy that called. And I think the point is this. Whether you believe in these various topics that show covers or you totally don't believe and you think it's all just silly, Coast to Coast AM, particularly under Art Bell, was always fascinating and entertaining and truly what radio was meant to be, which is a way into your imagination. Art Bell Dead at 72, and he will be missed. Shannon, hello and welcome back from wherever you were for so long. Uh, hello? Yes. Is hi. It is? Hey, yes.
5: <laughs> First try. Hi. Good to see you again. Good to see you, too. It's good to be back.
2: And what's coming up on the big Gary and Shannon show with Gary and Shannon?
5: What isn't coming up, Wayne? We are going to cover everything. Did I tell you that I just came from the land of $12 massages? Koima? Yes, (laughs) yes. You were in actual Thailand, were you? I was in actual Thailand. Mm -hmm. A lot of stories. Uh, Our guide pulled a gun on us at one point. So, yeah, good stories from Thailand coming up. Also, Gunnery Sergeant Hartman has died at only 74 years old. We'll pay tribute to him. Eric Garcetti is getting set to do his State of the City speech in moments. I don't know what he is going to say because he hasn't spent much time in the city because he's been on his presidential tour. Did you hear what he said when he was in Iowa? Yeah, Which first of all, first of all, said. he was in Iowa. Yeah, I know. Because there's a Los Angeles business to do in Iowa. Well, no, he's running for. Exactly. He says uh, something to the effect of, we have a lot in common with Iowa. We have the USS Iowa battleship in our port. It's like, okay. <laughs> It's like Sarah Palin, right? What are you doing? What are you doing? What You're supposed dope. to be a Rhodes Scholar. What a dope! Anyway, how about, those, live? how about those how about those Pokoima massages? Are you going to take his uh, State of the City address live? God no! I don't think we you can. love everybody I, too much to run think, that thing live. I was going to say you can't really broadcast it because people will die from exactly. choking on their saliva from laughing at this. We're going to so roll on it, extract the hot spots, and bring those to you coming up in the eleven o'clock hour. Sounds fantastic. All right, Gary and Shannon coming right up. This is KFI AM
2: 640.